Hello everybody, this is Father John Arnold, and once again, this is Oro Valley Catholic. Today, my special guest is Dr. Jeff Vanderley, who's the Director of Music here at St. Mark Parish. One of the things that we do at St. Mark, which is a very special event, is we celebrate Tenebrae. Mostly people don't know or remember what Tenebrae is. It was very popular in the pre-Vatican II church and goes back into the medieval late time of late antiquity. And so this is a very traditional part of the liturgy that will be celebrated partly in Latin and partly in English. And it's a wonderful way uh, to begin the Paschal Triduum. Uh, Tenebrae this year will be on the Wednesday of Holy Week, starting at 7 p.m. in the parish church. So I want to welcome Dr. Jeff, and start out with a question I think that's on everybody's mind. Would you explain what Tenebrae is? I would love to. So, Tenebrae, as you said, is a tradition that goes back all the way to the Middle Ages. Tenebrae, in its traditional form, before the Second Vatican Council, um, was part of the, the canonical hours or the liturgy of the hours um, and the morning service, which is called matins. If you know French, you know the French word for morning is matin, for morning. So these matin services, the structure of them is that each matin service, these, these prayer services, they have three nocturnes. Within each nocturne are three psalms, a small prayer, and then three readings which follow that small prayer. And each of the three readings at the end of each nocturne has a sung response. And those are known as the tenebrae responsories. And when the, these would happen on Holy Saturday, Good Friday, uh, excuse me, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and Holy Saturday for a total of nine, uh, nine readings per day, 27 over the three days for each of the morning prayers. Now, this has changed over time, and in the present day, that form, that long three-day form, is not the case. You know, priests still say um, the office of the readings, and the form has changed a little. Mm -hmm. Always three psalms in the office, uh, in all of the hours, whether it's the daytime hours, or it's morning prayer, evening prayer, we use the vernacular now, uh, more than we use the Latin term. Uh, but it's always on the office of the readings, it's three psalms, the versicle or the psalm, the short psalm, and then there's the two readings, one always from the scriptures, the other's all from the father of the church or a council or a saint, depending on what the day is. And so how is it that the tenebrae service that we'll celebrate at St. Mark's, how is it comparing its organization with how the modern liturgy of the hours works for opposite readings. Sure. So what we retain in our modern celebration of Tenebrae is the responsorial format. So what you can expect is a service of readings and of which each are followed by a piece of music sung uh, by our Schola Cantorum and a couple, some invited guests um, that either expands upon or comments on the reading. Now, as we know, St. Thomas Aquinas said that anything that we sing, we are praying twice. So this is a way to use scripture and then music afterwards to then 
pray and ruminate on what does that scripture mean for us as believers and as people who are participating in this tradition. Because the intellectual part is meditating on the scripture or the saint, the music moves our heart. Exactly. And so merely reading may not always move your heart, but music will do that. And when you put it together, it's like a complete, complete human experience. And so here, my listeners probably have another interest because we didn't really ask, what does tenebrae mean? What's the, what's the word? Tenebrae means darkness. And so when we say darkness, if they come to St. Mark to listen to this, is the, is the music going to be a double downer and they're going to leave depressed? No, because I think that the story of the crucifixion is ultimately one of salvation for us all and is ultimately one of eternal life. And the, so, But in order to have that light and that life, we also must pass through the darkness or it has no context. So this is a dark service, um, which at times might make you feel sad and that's okay. But at the end, there is always this reminder that... The end of this story is not yet to be told. Easter is coming. And tenebrae basically means darkness or Mm -hmm. the hour of darkness. And so given what you said about um, the purpose of the text and the music, why did you choose the particular hymns or that you did choose? Sure, I'd love to I'd love to talk about that a little bit. So the very first musical offering. Uh, that we give is a piece called Prayer to Jesus by a composer by the name of George Oldroyd, who actually uh, lived mostly in the 20th century. He was an an Anglican organist um, who who actually taught at Trinity College in the 1920s. Um, But the poem is from an English Catholic poet from the 14th century. Um, and this poem by a man by the name of uh, Richard Rolla, who was lived near a Cistercian monastery or nunnery in Yorkshire. Um, but we start the service with a prayer um, to Jesus. And it, pardon me while I just read as a segment of this till we can get um, the feeling. So Jesus, since thou me made and bought, thou be my love and all my thought and help that I may to thee be brought without thee I may do not is the first stanza. So we call ourselves and everyone in the service to bring Jesus to the front of their mind. That's what, that's what our goal was with this first piece, to say, here we are, Jesus, to commemorate your crucifixion. Let you be the forefront of my thoughts. You know, I don't think that we talk so much because we, we pray in an English tradition. It's our language and it has formed our liturgy. I don't think that we talk enough about the history of the church in England before the Reformation. And it was a very pious church, full of pilgrimages, poetry. The English would come up with their own texts. I recently read a book by a great Catholic English historian named Eamon Duffy, and the book is called Royal Books and Holy Bones. And it was about the English uh, Catholics' preoccupation with books and libraries and relics. And some of the art which has still survived the destruction by the reformers, because they broke up a lot of art and was shipped out of the country. 
but it is stunning in its originality, English art, and it really doesn't look like things from the continent. You know, in the in the academic music world, uh, the dissolution of the monasteries is a, is a very sad event. Um, because England, before the Reformation, was a center for musician from a musician standpoint, um, was a center of of composition that was unlike anything else on the continent. Um, and actually, they're one of the most important surviving manuscripts for musicians um, of pre-Reformation English Catholic music is an illuminated manuscript. Um, called the Eton Choir Book, which you can still go and see at Eton College in England. Um, and this manuscript can also be found online. You can Google search the Eton Choir Book, and they have digitized the entire illuminated manuscript. Um, but it is so interesting, this um, how England was such an artistically rich place. Um, Musically, in painting, and in sculpture. Um, just as my little jab to the side, they obviously went wrong when they burned Joan of Arc at the end of the Hundred Years' War. But I'll drop that for now. But I will point out that one of the composers that uh, you have is an English composer from after the Re uh, Reformation, during the time of Queen Elizabeth, when there was a lot of persecution going on. And it's the great Thomas Tallis, who I love to listen to, so would you explain why Thomas Tallis is such an interesting composer and English Catholic? So the reason I included music of Thomas Tallis on this program um, was because Thomas Tallis's career is a story of perseverance of the Catholic faith through struggle and strife. So Thomas Tallis lived between the years 1505 and 1585. If you're, if you're keeping up with your English Reformation, 1537 was the year that Henry VIII signed the Act of Supremacy, declaring himself the head of the church. So this is right when Thomas Tallis has finished school and is going to be a choir director. And if, you, if you're thinking about it, he would have been trained as a Catholic. So um, how did clergy uh, or lay, lay ministers or choir directors keep their jobs through this period of time in England. Well, as we know, the England did not just switch to the Anglican Church in 1537, and that was the end of the conversation. England went through 150, you know, maybe a little bit less than 150 years of monarchs going back and forth uh, and wanting Catholic, to, Protestant, uh, Protestant, Catholic, and wanting to erase yeah. whoever wouldn't go along with their switch. Till they well, chopped off a Catholic king's head. That's right. Charles first, I guess. So the way to keep your job... Um, and your head. And your head was to do what was asked of you. Thomas Tallis composed both in English and in Latin, just based on who was in control at the time of the church. Um, and Thomas Tallis, um, historians now look back at his life and realize that Thomas Tallis... Um, through his personal writings, we found that he remained an unreformed Catholic through his entire life. Um, so the the piece actually that we have of his is a is a hymn called "To Mock Your Reign." Each one of the musical responses talks about um, and comments on the the strip the scripture that comes before. At this point. Um, this Talus piece comes after Jesus before Pilate, a reading about Jesus and Pilate, um, and Pilate hearing the Sanhedrin's cause against Jesus. And the text, um, in To Mock Your Reign, 
here we have to mock your reign, O dearest Lord, they made a crown of thorns, set you with taunts along that road from which no one returns. They did not know, as we do now, that glorious is your crown, that thorns would flower upon your brow, and sorrows heal our own. Um, so this hymn is all about um, this, in, this turning over of this innocent Savior to pay for our sins. Um, through his interaction with Pilate. You know, one of the interesting things about this time period, Elizabeth, Thomas Tallis, is it really is a flowering of English letters and art, and all it very uh, conflicted. You have William Shakespeare, and people still argue whether he was a closet Catholic. John Donne, who's was related to St. Thomas More, but his uncle was drawn and quartered, his brother was killed at Newgate Prison, and then surprisingly he converts. Um, but when you read him, you still read people who are very conversant with the tradition of the church. Um, but the English Reformation was the one part of the Reformation that was forced on the population by the king. In the, uh, both the uh, Lutheran Reformation and the Calvinist, uh, basically political leaders ran out in front of the parade. Henry VIII, because of his marital issues, tried to create the parade. But one of the things that you'd said earlier on, which I thought was very interesting, was that by participating in this music and listening to these texts, you're joining yourself to the life of faith and the tradition of faith that goes back millennia. Yeah, so the rest of the composers, the rest of the composers and the music that is on this program are of intentionally chosen Catholic composers from across Europe and from across time and space, as you said. Um, the idea is that in performing and adhering and in praying these historic, this historical music and these historical prayers, we join with our Catholic ancestors. And I think it's a beautiful thing that when you hear Ave Verum Corpus by Gaspar von Vierbecke, you are hearing the same Ave Verum Corpus that a parishioner heard at the Basilica in Ternay in southwestern Belgium, northeastern France. That when you hear Tenebre Facte Sunt by Tomas Luis de Victoria, you're hearing the same response that a parishioner in Avila would have heard in Spain in the 16th century. When you hear, um, when you hear Sepulto Domino by Jan Dismas Zelenka, you will hear one of the Tenebrae responsories from a German Catholic who lived in Dresden and from parishioners that would have heard that in, in Eastern Germany. So through hearing this music, we are connected by hundreds of years and by thousands of kilometers across Europe with members of our faith community. But also what I wanted to point out, because I think it's very significant, is that it isn't just Catholic composers in Tenebrae. I mean, I'm looking at one of my favorite songs, and it's a beautiful hymn. My song is Love Unknown, and I'm looking at the time period, 1623 to 1683 by Samuel Crossman. And I'm guessing maybe an English Protestant? Mm -hmm. Yes, he was... Samuel Crossman was actually known for being sympathetic of the Puritan cause. Samuel Crossman actually tried to head a reform that tried to reconcile the Church of England and 
the Puritans, which didn't work, uh, and he was kicked out. And well, there was a huge civil war between yes. the adherence to the to the religion of the king and the Puritans, called the English Civil War. It's why Charles I lost its head. And Plymouth Colony had been founded just ten or twenty years before. Uh, and uh, again, it's the beauty of our, uh, uh, John Milton, the famous English poet, who was a Puritan. Um, and a rabid anti-Catholic, uh, but he flourishes in this period of time. And there is a tremendous flourishing of Christian thought, albeit by the time of the 17th century, somewhat disconnected from the long tradition. But that Tenebrae remembers Christ's broken body, both on the cross and in the church. This is a good reason to attend Tenebrae. So let me ask one more question. When people arrive, I can tell them they'll expect to walk into a church that's rather dark, that the running uh, time of this uh, time of music, uh, uh, prayer, uh, short homily by Father Serge, and readings uh, that are all part of the Paschal Mystery, um, that all of these things I think Catholics will understand as a wonderful time of preparation for the Paschal Triduum. But, as someone who is very learned in um, ancient music, well, ancient modern, why do you think the listeners to this podcast ought to want to attend Tenebrae on Wednesday of Holy Boot Week at 7 p.m.? I think it's not often that you get to hear such, um, such a variety of music that comes from our faith tradition in one place at one time. There's a little bit of everything for everyone with so many responses. There's so many different styles and so many different kinds of music. There's bound to be something that resonates with your heart as you come. As you know, we have a large space as well. So I, I would say don't feel um, that this is too intimate to bring children to. Um, there's always cry rooms in the narthex if things, um, if things get out of hand, but this is an event. Um, and I, I think you said some before um, that I think is important that sometimes text alone does not move the heart. Um, and so to have, um, to have music accompanying these texts just adds an element um, to this worshipful atmosphere. We're also going to make an effort, um, especially... Um, for pieces that are not in English, for texts that are in Latin, we will be displaying the translations on the, on the screen. So you can follow along with the service um, and pray these prayers along with us as we are singing. You know, one thing as we, as we bring this podcast to a close, which I urge our listeners to, to, to do, is uh, this has music from with, deep within the Catholic tradition, but widely through the entire Christian tradition. It would be a wonderful thing uh, to invite your evangelical friends, your Episcopalian friends, your Lutheran friends, people who just love beautiful music, who are spiritual but not religious, um, because you're, you are experiencing the big picture of Christianity with some wonderful little stories uh, about who the composers are, composers are in the text. But this is something where I think you could feel uh, very competent. Say, come to this concert with us. You're really going to enjoy it. 
uh, and, and bring your friends, especially ones who aren't part uh, sharing our Catholic faith. So uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Last year it was tremendous, and that's why we're really promoting it this year, because I think it will be a fundamental experience for people of the beauty of Holy Week. And so God bless you in your work, Dr. Jeff. Thank you, you bring very much. a lot of, of, uh, of important things to our parish and the experience of worship. Thank and you I think much. we're all looking for, forward to Tenebrae. And to our listeners, God bless you until we see you again. Right. Thank you very much.